Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. What would you do if your biggest source of business dried up one day? Well, today's guests, Greg Vaughn and Warren Coulter, CEO and CMO of Bowerfind USA, are going to talk to us a little bit about that situation and share some ideas about how to grow in uncertain times or maybe even adverse times. Bowerfind sells orthopedic braces and supports for athletes of all kinds. And you can find out more about them, about Greg and Warren, at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. So for listeners who may not be familiar with your products, tell us a little bit more about what you sell and where people can find Bowerfind. Sure. Um, Bowerfind USA uh, produces and develops, produces, and sells premium orthopedic bracing braces, uh, athletic supports, compression garments, and foot orthopedics. And we can be found either online at Bowerfine.com, other online uh, retailers, as well as uh, some retail outlets, as well as specialty retail and sporting goods stores. Great. And at one point, though, you, most of your money was coming and your products were sold to healthcare providers, right? So what, what happened? Sure. Well, our company is 85 years old, and we were founded as a medical device and medical products company in Germany. Uh, it is, uh, all of our products are still manufactured in Germany, and they are shipped to the U.S., and we distribute them um, from the metro Atlanta area. Uh, you reference uh, what happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, as I mentioned, medical heritage of the products, most of our products for the past several decades were reimbursed meaning that a physician or a healthcare professional would prescribe, fit a patient, write a prescription for the product. The patient was uh, given that product and then uh, was reimbursed by their insurer, a private payer or a public payer for the cost of that product or for most of the cost of that product. In 2009, um, our category, we, we described it as our category, uh, lost uh, reimbursement for our Largest product line. Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So most of our products then became cash pay um, as opposed to reimbursed. And we had to uh, adjust to that uh, mm. relatively quickly. I bet you did. Um, how much of your, uh, what percentage of your revenue did you lose? Uh, prior to the change in the reimbursement structure, uh, approximately three quarters of our revenue were generated from reimbursed product. Mm. Uh, today, that's almost exactly the opposite. All right. So for you CEOs, listen, listeners, uh, 60% of this man's business just went away one day, right? Yeah, at least. Yeah. Exactly right. Right. So um, were you with the company at that time? I was not. Um, as I mentioned, that occurred in early 2009. And I joined the company about five years later in February of 2014. Mm -hmm. and, and Warren, as CMO, when did you join? I joined in November of 2014. Okay. So... Um, what I'm hearing is you, you know, there's this swirl. The company has lost 66% of where its money is coming from, and you come in. And so 
Um, and you say that you flipped, basically flipped the business from being largely re- getting its revenue from reimbursement to now being a retail business. That's a really, really big change. So what changes or what um, insights can you share with some of our CEOs who are listening about, first of all, like how did you just cope with what I imagine was the sheer volume of stress, right? Coming into this high pressure situation. And how did you think about developing a strategy for turning them around, Greg? When I came in, it was five years have passed since the, the dramatic change in the market dynamics. And candidly, the company did not adjust quickly to that change in market dynamics. Yeah, five years is long and you know, they should have been moving along a little <laughs> bit faster than that. Exactly. Um, but candidly, prior to that, um, the uh, company uh, had been largely a distribution uh, operation uh, in the U.S., headquartered in Metro Atlanta. We did not have a, what I call a true commercial operation in Metro Atlanta. The, as I mentioned earlier, the products were manufactured in Germany, distributed, sent, shipped to the U.S., distributed from here. But uh, our goal was to develop a true U.S.-based commercial operation. Uh, when I joined the company, uh, that was my top priority, along with um, establishing and executing a strategy to address the, mar- the changing market dynamics that, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a both-and strategy. Um, we didn't abandon our medical heritage. Um, we believe that that is who we are. We still believe that we are a medical device company in many respects. So we wanted to um, deepen and expand our reach in the healthcare space. However, respond to the changes in market dynamics by addressing the cash pay market. Hmm. And we felt we could do that best um, by uh, uh, reaching out to and providing products to consumers um, as well as athletes or active people. Yeah. Warren, as the CMO of the company, tell us a few like specific tactics or ideas um, around like how to market and how to, to develop a marketing strategy for a market that you may not be experienced in before. The, the, the first thing I usually start with, and we did as well, is getting to know the consumer. So who is our customer? And broadly, we say anyone who can make, who, who influences or who can make a purchase decision based on which product they would get. But for us, the consumer specifically, we wanted to know who are they. And as a marketer might, we came up with our three personas of our targeted consumers and, and talked about, uh, found out where they are and what's important to them, what drives them, and then what do they need from a product in our category. And then once we were able to do that, then we could focus the organization on building the products, providing the services, and the marketing for those uh, targeted customers. Mm-hmm. So that's how it began. And I believe that the marketer in a company should always know more about the, cus- the customer and consumer than anybody else and then kind of proselytize that out throughout the organization. So that's where we started. And then the, the other, obviously, is to do a competitive assessment. Their other competitors were going through this same issue because it was a category change where they lost uh, dis- they lost reimbursement. So we have competitors who were looking to do the same thing and, and get into the consumer market. So how do we compare to them? We're a premium price product. Uh, we're a very high quality product. And so how do we bring that to the consumer who may be, uh, you know, if they're shopping in other outlets or thinking a brace should cost 
a quarter of what ours does, for example. And so how do we communicate to them uh, the quality of our product and why it's worth that premium? So that's kind of where we started. And then, of course, there's a distribution piece and hiring on folks who can help us get into the other channels where the consumer would buy the product uh, directly, including our e-commerce as well as retail partners. So that's where we've focused and uh, and so far so good. Mm. Now, did you choose those personas or how did so the the word persona is a big word right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so let's just unpack that a little bit did you actually choose those personas based on some market research around where you thought most of the market was or most of the money was walk us through that process of really developing those personas that became the basis of the 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 other strategy the rest of your strategy so we we did uh, a a market-wide category-wide research so we started with literally stepping down from how many adults are in the United States. And then of those, how many uh, um, purchase or have experience with our category? And of those, how many purchase, how many use? Do they use it for, uh, uh, do they re- do they get reimbursed, uh, uh, which would be a more uh, structural kind of product, or do they pay out of pocket? And so we marched all the way down the ladder to see who they, they were uh, demographically, right? And then, now, were these customers that you already had or people that you were looking to target? People we were looking to target. And how did you choose who to target? So we, we this was an omnibus study of really the, the whole market and people participating in the market. And then our decision was, uh, now tell me who is, who, who's a quote-unquote premium customer? Who's willing to pay a premium price for a brace. And then that's who we targeted. And then we do that subset of people. And that's when these personas started to come out of, well, these people who are willing to pay a premium, they, their income is a certain level. Their level of activity is a certain level. They're, and actually running is a big uh, piece of, of That'll what That'll mess do, up people's knees. We, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. So, so we, were, we were really able to go through that methodically and then come out at the other end with things that were uh, didn't just sound like marketing speak that you could talk to someone about who the person is. And one of the key insights that we learned from the consumer research was the use. So yes, uh, we do have targeted consumers who use it to to play sports and to remain active, but we also have targeted customers and consumers who use it for acti- what we call activities of daily living, um, which is really important. Mm-hmm. And having to target those both separately as well as collectively as part of the strategy. Mm. So I mentioned this before the show, but when we did a survey of our listeners, um, mid-market CEOs, one of the things we found is that um, they will think about their three-month strategy almost every day. But as you go out, let's say a year or, you know, five years, most of our listeners are really not very interested in thinking about a five-year strategy or this kind of big, you call it omnibus study, you know, this big thinking and taking all the people in the universe and whittling them down and understanding them. Um, This obviously has paid off for you, but I'm wondering, like, why? You know, there's there's a, a world in which, which I think is a world in which a lot of the listeners live, which is like, let's focus on the next three months. What was it that made you decide to invest all this time and energy in doing this broad sweeping big thing, other than the fact that you worked at McKinsey and that's what you're trying to do? <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's... <sighs> Again, it's both and. Um, we believe that we needed uh, an overarching vision and a longer term view of the commercial organization that we're trying to build in the U.S., we had a fant- and have a fantastic product, very, very high quality, very, very well known uh, in Europe, 
um, particularly Western Europe, but very little brand recognition uh, in the U.S. So we knew that brand recognition doesn't come in three months, and we would have to work at that to establish that. So um, building brand recognition, having a view of how to do that and a long-term strategy of how to do that in both the healthcare professional market segment as well as the consumer market segment is going to be very important. And we do have near-term financial objectives. Um, our parent company has made an investment in growing the U.S. market, but at some point they would like to see a return on that investment. So we need, we do need to. Well, they seem patient if they were able, were able to wait five years. You know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, in long-term strategy, yes, but you need to make progress along yeah, the way, uh, milestones along the way. So we certainly do have yearly, quarterly, monthly um, financial goals and objectives that uh, we strive to achieve. While at the same time, keeping our eye uh, on the long term and what we're hoping to build over a period of time. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of the the various levels of strategy as nested Russian dolls. Um, so you have the three month strategy that sits inside the you know the six month that sits inside the one year that sits inside the five year. What are the key threads that need to run in your mind? You know, as CEOs listening to this, um, as a takeaway for CEOs listening to this. What are the threads that need to bind each the strategy at each of those levels in your mind? I would say the thread would be the customer, right? And the impact you're going to have on the customer. So close in, it may be about getting the product into the right channel and then the customer can interact. And how do I move product out of that channel? And then I move back a little further. Is what training can I give my people and their people? And I move back even further. How do I get the brand out there and get brand recognition? Uh, and then I move even further back and maybe about, let's talk our long-term product development strategy, right? But at the end, for me, it all is about the customer and working all the way back to what is the need we're satisfying and what do I do in the short term to do that and what do I do in the long term to do that? Great. So for those of you listening, we're talking to Greg Vaughn and Walter Coulter from Bowerfind USA, CEO and CMO. Um, Bowerfind sells braces and supports orthopedic products for athletes of all kinds. During the second half of the show, second segment, we love to talk about the team, right? So we have these two obviously very talented uh, gentlemen here. I would love to hear what your best advice is for CEOs listening um, for building a high-performance team. That is the fundamental element of my approach to business leadership and business management is talent. I learned that, if you will, at McKinsey, the importance of talent and coming into this, uh, what I thought was a fantastic opportunity, but a very challenging opportunity. I knew that I needed to build a team that complemented my strengths and supported my development areas um, to uh, really take the business to where I think we could take it. Um, my background, as you know, is as a, a board-certified physician. The vast majority of my career has been in the healthcare industry space, specifically the last dozen years in the medical device space. So I felt that I brought that experience and some level of expertise from that perspective and could address the healthcare professionals a part of our market strategy. But as we shared earlier, a very significant part of our market strategy was consumers or is consumers and uh, addressing, and I knew very little about that. And one of my first priorities was to seek a partner who did bring that level of expertise 
from uh, retail and consumer marketing to complement uh, my background and, uh, and, and build the team from there. And uh, we, uh, Warren is that person. Uh, it took several months, um, but finally identified Warren as a partner, as a chief marketing officer. And uh, I believe that has worked out great. Warren and I have built a U.S.-based marketing organization to align with our strategy. Our marketing organization uh, includes uh, digital e-commerce, it includes consumer sports, and it includes healthcare professionals and medical, those three elements um, that uh, comprise our overall go-to-market strategy. Mm. And then in addition to that, we've built out the rest of the senior leadership team with uh, sales leadership as well as new financial leadership in the organization. And although it took some time, um, I believe that we've built a world-class leadership team, business leadership team, and the business results we're beginning to show. All right. We like that. Business results. Everybody <clears throat> loves those. Exactly. What about you, Warren? What's, what's your best advice for building a high-performance team? My advice would be everything Greg said in terms of the right kinds of talent. So you, you, you have uh, folks who have complementary skills. And then also taking the time to kind of make sure the team gels. That's something Greg has, has done very well. I think we have a great relationship on our senior team. One of the things I love about it and the best organizations I've been in are the ones that allow for dissent and we can vigorously kind of duke it out. Uh, and then in the end, we come up with something that's better than any of any of the one of us could have had. And then we go forward and execute it. But having that freedom to know that when you don't think we're going the right way, you get to raise your hand and say, hey, let's look at it from this perspective. Uh, and that's probably the, the most, uh, the best thing that's helped us to, to be effective. Mm. One, of, one of the things Warren just alluded to, and we talked about strategy and we talked about organization. Um, but one of my, another one of my principal objectives was to create a culture um, that Warren talked about of where dissent is encouraged where it, titles really don't matter. It's who has the best idea um, is, needs to speak for, needs to come forward and, and, and speak to that. And uh, I've tried to build an organization. We've tried to cultivate a culture together that encourages that and recognizes that. Hmm. So that's a big word, and those are big concepts, and we all love teams that gel. That's really great. Mm -hmm. um, but for people listening, like, what does that actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, give us some examples of how you actually create a culture that fosters, you know, ideas and create a culture where people feel safe? What do you actually do? For me, a large part of it is transparency and communication. There are certainly uh, elements of the business that, um, that you can't share broadly, personnel issues, things like that. But whenever there is uh, an issue or an item or matter of concern to the business that I can share, I do share. And I believe that the team uh, appreciates that and recognizes that. But we started a practice of town hall meetings um, where... How often? About at least once a quarter, sometimes more often than that, depending upon what's going on in the business, where we bring the team to get the corporate team together, as well as the field-based team um, together to share where we are with the business, um, what our objectives are, what our goals are, how we're performing to that, where we need to catch up if that's the case. And to encourage them to ask questions um, and to share their views uh, as well. And Warren, what's your best example of, of how this, how does the culture actually get created? How does the sausage get made? 
Yeah, I, I think it is uh, the communication uh, that Greg fosters. I was when I first arrived, I was very surprised at the kinds of numbers we were sharing with everyone. And uh, <laughs> but it pays off. People are engaged, so I think that's a part of it. I think the the way our office is set up where it's kind of open and, and, and people can uh, can interact with each other in, in that manner. And the other thing, one of the key things we've kind of, well, did recently is uh, we had our senior leadership team meetings. And what we've done now is expanded that meeting to the director level. And, and so everyone's kind of getting things firsthand. We're not a big enough company that we need to have four layers of meetings to kind of have things uh, cascade down in the organization. I think that's helped with engagement. So far, we've been lucky to hire just, you know, good people who uh, who actually want to get along. <laughs> I, I will say one other thing is, is in our culture is... I think we're pretty flexible in terms of when people need to do things for their family, with their family, or flexible time off and that kind of thing, or work from home. We're, our office is in Midtown. It's a great office, but you know, if you need to work from home, you can work from home that day. You know, great, great. So then, what's your approach to dealing with conflict, which is inver- which is in- inevitable? Go ahead. You said, directly. <laughs> directly. That's, that's Greg choked. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're like. Ah. Ah. Directly, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, again, you know, I'll pop into his office. We'll say, hey, you know, I just saw X, Y, Z. I don't know if I think it should go that way. Certainly people on my team will come into my office and go, I just saw something. And I really don't think that's the way it should be. We have some inherent things that any subsidiary would have. Uh, I often tell folks, boy, I remember when I was headquarters and now I'm the subsidiary out there doing rogue things, or at least that's the perception, right? And, and, and so, but do we, they care as long as you produce? Uh, uh, you, you still have a brand. And, and, and I remember being that brand champion in headquarters saying, what are those people out there doing with my brand? And now there are people in Germany probably saying the same thing about me. So we, we try <laughs> to make sure that we're on, on line with that. And those are some of the conflicts that come in with that, uh, that's inherent to having, you know, the, the two, not just the corporate culture, but the two, you know, countries and, and the cultures that go with that. And I think we've navigated that pretty well. Mm. I think addressing and dealing with conflict is a direct reflection of the culture that I referenced earlier. And I'll, I'll share an example a couple of months ago. We were dealing with some business challenges and I think maybe that I was allowing those business challenges to affect me personally and uh, my CFO pulled me aside and said, hey, um, something wrong with you? What's going on? People notice mm. that uh, you act differently or or speaking differently. And the, you've gotten weird. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I shared that with a close friend of mine. And he says, you know, to your credit, your team member felt comfortable enough to come to you and share that with you, one. Um, and, and, and to me, to me, it made me feel good and I could react to it and say, you know, I didn't realize that I was being perceived a certain way, or mm. maybe what I was feeling internally was being manifest, um, outwardly uh, to my team members. And the fact that he felt comfortable enough to address it with me directly and basically say, Hey, get your act together. Um, I really value. And, and that's another example of how we deal with conflict. Mm. Great. So. Tell us about like what your plans are for Bauerfine. So you're um, the subsidi- American subsidiary of a German company, and 
the future is very exciting. I mean, I've seen all the stuff that's happened with uh, some of the athletic teams. And I think uh, you've just gotten into Walmart, not maybe just, but you've gotten into Walmart, which means that you can now begin to take over the world or maybe not. But so what what are you thinking for the future? Well, I just want so we're we're on Walmart.com. Uh, one of our distributors is on Walmart.com, but we're not in Walmart stores. Mm. Uh, and actually, those are two very different demographics: the store versus the online uh, the online piece. Mm. Uh, but where we're going uh, forward, we introduced a a sports line in in the spring. It's taking our medical technology and optimizing it for sports. So even more breathable, even lighter, uh, really product for people who are going to intensely be active uh, and engaged in, in a certain sport. So that's available on, you know, for all the products we would think of, knee brace, knee support, uh, elbow support, ankle, et, et cetera, and compression sleeves, uh, which is very important for recovery with runners and other, other athletes. So that's a big piece of our, our business and where we're going forward with that. We're doing a great business with that online. Uh, on our site, we also have our own shop on on, on Amazon, and and locally in Atlanta, we are in uh, uh, Big Peach stores and in a couple of uh, uh, in the area in uh, Dick Sporting Goods, mm. and so we're very excited about that, and we're doing successful in those stores. Um, so I guess that's the first things that come to mind in terms of what we're doing going forward. Mm-mm. Anything happening with the the legacy business? Yes, a few things happening with the legacy business. As I mentioned, healthcare and, and medical device is our background. We continue to develop and distribute um, prescribed product in the U.S. We are beginning to um, do more product development in the U.S. And so up until recently, all the product was designed and developed and manufactured uh, in Germany and now we are having our product development engineers come to the U.S., immerse themselves in the U.S. market to understand exactly what U.S. customer needs are, what U.S. patient needs are. And we are, I'm very pleased to say, actively producing some products now that are targeted just for the U.S. market. Great. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for a great show. Um, for those of you listening, we've been talking with Greg Vaughn and Warren Colto, Coulter, sorry, CMO and CEO of Bowerfind USA. And on Thursday, you can find a blog with the key takeaways from the show at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. Have a productive, prosperous, and very profitable week. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.